Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Lily, the caretaker's daughter, was literally run off her feet. Hardly had she brought one gentleman into the little pantry behind the office on the ground floor and helped him off with his overcoat. Then the wheezy hall doorbell clanged again and she had to scamper along the bare hallway to let in another guest. It was well for her she had not to attend to the ladies also. But Miss Kate and Miss Julia had thought of that and had converted the bathroom upstairs into a ladies' dressing room. Miss Kate and Miss Julia were there, gossiping and laughing and fussing, walking after each other to the head of the stairs, peering down over the banisters and calling down to Lily to ask her who had come. It was always a great affair, the Mrs. Morkins annual dance. Everybody who knew them came to it, members of the family, old friends of the family, the members of Julia's choir, any of Kate's pupils that were grown up enough, and even some of Mary Jane's pupils too. Never once had it fallen flat. For years and years it had gone off in splendid style, as long as anyone could remember. Ever since Kate and Julia, after the death of their brother Pat, had left the house in Stony Batter and taken Mary Jane, their only niece, to live with them in the dark, gaunt house on Usher's Island, the upper part of which they had rented from Mr. Fulham, the corn factor on the ground floor. That was a good thirty years ago, if it was a day. Mary Jane, who was then a little girl in short clothes, was now the main prop of the household, for she had the organ in Haddington Road. She had been through the academy and gave a pupil's concert every year in the upper room of the ancient concert rooms. Many of her pupils belonged to the better-class families on the Kingstown and Dorky line. Old as they were, her aunts also did their share. Julia, though she was quite grey, was still a leading soprano in Adam and Eve's, and Kate, being too feeble to go about much, gave music lessons to beginners on the old square piano in the back room. Lily, the caretaker's daughter, did housemaid's work for them. Though their life was modest, they believed in eating well. The best of everything. Diamond bone sirloins, three-shilling tea and the best bottled stout. But Lily seldom made a mistake in the orders so that she got on well with her three mistresses. They were fussy, that was all. But the only thing they would not stand was back answers. Of course, they had good reason to be fussy on such a night... And then it was long after ten o'clock and yet there was no sign of Gabriel and his wife. Besides, they were dreadfully afraid that Freddie Malins might turn up screwed. They would not wish for worlds that any of Mary Jane's pupils should see him under the influence. And when he was like that, it was sometimes very hard to manage him. Freddie Malins always came late, but they wondered what could be keeping Gabriel. And that was what brought them every two minutes to the banisters to ask Lily had Gabriel or Freddie come. Oh, Mr. Conneroy, said Lily to Gabriel when she opened the door for him. Miss Kate and Miss Julia thought you were never coming. Good night, Mrs. Conneroy. I'll engage they did, said Gabriel, but they forget that my wife here takes three mortal hours to dress herself. He stood on the mat scraping the snow from his galoshes while Lily led his wife to the foot of the stairs and called out, Miss Kate, here's Mrs. Conneroy. 
Kate and Julia came toddling down the dark stairs at once. Both of them kissed Gabriel's wife, said she must be perished alive, and asked, was Gabriel with her? Here I am, as right as the mail, Aunt Kate. Go on up, I'll follow, called out Gabriel from the dark. He continued scraping his feet vigorously while the three women went upstairs, laughing to the ladies' dressing room. A light fringe of snow lay like a cape on the shoulders of his overcoat and like toe caps on the toes of his galoshes. And as the buttons of his overcoat slipped with a squeaking noise through the snow-stiffened frieze, a cold, fragrant air from out of doors escaped from crevices and folds. Is it snowing again, Mr. Conneroy? asked Lily. She had preceded him into the pantry to help him off with his overcoat. Gabriel smiled at the three syllables she had given his surname and glanced at her. She was a slim, growing girl, pale in complexion and with hay-coloured hair. The gas in the pantry made her look still paler. Gabriel had known her when she was a child and used to sit on the lowest step nursing a rag doll. Yes, Lily, he answered, and I think we're in for a night of it. He looked up at the pantry ceiling, which was shaking with the stamping and shuffling of feet on the floor above, listened for a moment to the piano, and then glanced at the girl who was folding his overcoat carefully at the end of a shelf. Tell me, Lily, he said in a friendly tone, do you still go to school? Oh, no, sir, she answered. I'm done schooling this year and more. Oh, then, said Gabriel gaily, I suppose we'll be going to your wedding one of these fine days with your young man. Eh? The girl glanced back at him over her shoulder and said with great bitterness, The man that is now is only all palaver and what they can get out of you. Gabriel coloured as if he felt he had made a mistake and without looking at her kicked off his galoshes and flicked actively with his muffler at his patent leather shoes. He was a stout, tallish young man. The high colour of his cheeks pushed upwards even to his forehead, where it scattered itself in a few formless patches of pale red. And on his hairless face there scintillated restlessly the polished lenses and the bright gilt rims of the glasses which screened his delicate and restless eyes. His glossy black hair was parted in the middle and brushed in a long curve behind his ears where it curled slightly beneath the groove left by his hat. When he had flicked luster into his shoes, he stood up and pulled his waistcoat down more tightly on his plump body. Then he took a coin rapidly from his pocket. Oh, Lily, he said, thrusting it into her hands. It's Christmas time, isn't it? Just here's a little... He walked rapidly towards the door. Oh, no, sir, cried the girl, following him. Really, sir, I wouldn't take it. Christmas time, Christmas time, said Gabriel, almost trotting to the stairs and waving his hand to her in deprecation. The girl, seeing that he had gained the stairs, called out after him. Well, thank you, sir. He waited outside the drawing-room door until the waltz should finish, listening to the skirts that swept against it and to the shuffling of feet. He was still discomposed by the girl's bitter and sudden retort. It had cast a gloom over him which he tried to dispel by arranging his cuffs and the bows of his tie. He then took from his waistcoat pocket a little paper and glanced at the headings he had made for his speech. He was undecided about the lines from Robert Browning, for he feared that they would be above the heads of his hearers. Some quotation that they would recognise from Shakespeare or from the melodies would be better. 
The indelicate clacking of the men's heels and the shuffling of their soles reminded him that their grade of culture differed from his. He would only make himself ridiculous by quoting poetry to them which they could not understand. They would think that he was airing his superior education. He would fail with them just as he had failed with the girl in the pantry. He had taken up a wrong tone. His whole speech was a mistake from first to last. An utter failure. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.